0: Obviously, my favorite animal is okapi, sea turtles, and red-eyed tree frogs combined. Hello,
1: I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Rossifari. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast that I only seem to be able to make when I should be sleeping, the Ross Safari podcast. You know, it's funny. I don't know if it's just something from being a musician and coming up in a scene where I would be gigging until two in the morning, then have to break down the drums and drive home, or what, but I'm almost incapable of working regular hours. Honestly, I think the hardest thing about making this podcast is trying to work with zookeeper schedules. Many keepers are waking up around the time I'm heading to bed most nights. And I don't know what it is, but I never feel more creative than at around one to two o'clock in the morning. I cannot tell you how often I'll try writing an intro like this at 9 or 10 p.m. and just stare at my screen. But then 1 a.m. hits and my fingers start typing like they are possessed. (laughs) This also may explain why I think so many of my puns are hilarious and have decided that ending every episode by reminding everyone that the word credits backward is steiderk is a good idea. (laughs) Sleep deprivation, y'all. It is a heck of a thing. (sighs) oh man anyway a few quick reminders don't forget to follow along at rossafari on instagram and facebook and uh, make sure you check out rossafari.com to find info about the podcast and also links to my patreon merch and more all right y'all we are officially back to regular rossafari episodes I do hope you enjoyed Ross Safari Around the World, the bonus episode, and Ross Safari After Dark. And if you haven't checked those out yet, please go ahead and do so because they are awesome. Um, and I had an absolute blast doing all of those. That said, I think I have found the perfect guest for the transition back to our regularly scheduled program. As you know, most of our episodes are focused on people who work in the zoo field, while the remainder are focused on people who work in the conservation field though admittedly there is always a lot of overlap. Today, however, I'm bringing you a guest who is actively working at both a zoo and with an incredible conservation organization. Lucas Mears is the conservation program officer at both the Jacksonville Zoo and Gardens and for the Okapi Conservation Project. Now, I feel like every single person listening to this podcast just had one of two reactions. You either said, yes, I love okapis, or you said, what the heck is an okapi or whatever he just said? Because that's the thing about okapis. They are the ultimate if-you-know-you-know animal. Most people have never heard of these amazing animals, but it is impossible to not love them if you have heard of them. So... What is an copy? Well, the interview goes into a lot of detail about that. So if you don't know, you'll find out soon enough. If you do want to Google a picture first, though, that's spelled OKAPI. OK, so I know you're either really curious or really excited or both right now. So. Without further ado, here is my interview with Lucas Mears of the Jacksonville Zoo and Gardens and the Okapi Conservation Project. All right. So, tell me
0: who you are, where you work, and I know we're getting two places this time, yes. and uh, what you do there. Uh, my name is Lucas Mears, and I am the conservation program officer at the Jacksonville Zoo and Gardens, and I am also the conservation program officer for the Okapi Conservation Project. I play uh, two roles in my in my professional life,
1: and yet you only get one title.
0: Yes. Well, I guess technically it's conservation program officer for the zoo and then just program officer for Okapi, but it makes it too complicated, so I just I just add the and I like the title conservation. It just sounds <laughs> yeah. You
1: you want to have conservation in there when I program doing... officer is just too general. <laughs>
0: yeah, definitely. Yeah. And
1: conservation so important. It opens up a lot exactly. of conversations. Exactly. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been trying to figure out what to call myself since I started this, and I I've just gone with conservation educator because podcaster yeah. just makes it sound like I sit and you know talk about stuff. This is yeah. at least important
0: stuff. So it's more specific <laughs> yeah. and more directed. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Definitely.
1: Love Love it. Awesome. So, um, let's start off at the zoo. And um, so, tell me what you do as the
0: conservation program officer there. So, um, before COVID, I know we now think of things as pre-COVID, during COVID, and post-COVID. But pre-COVID, uh, my main job responsibilities at the zoo uh, are to implement our conservation strategy, enforce our conservation strategy, making sure that conservation is a part of every aspect of the zoo, uh, and one program that I've really been working on is really getting our staff involved in field conservation, whether that's um, having them go out into the field and work on protecting an endangered tree species locally or sending them over to Kenya to uh, volunteer with the Grevy Zebra Trust on Grevy Zebra population counts. Um, It's really trying to connect our staff uh, to our mission of conservation and really get them um, It really connect them with the mission of the zoo and really understand why we're working at a zoo and really get that basis of conservation. Plus um, we're, we're really encouraging people from all departments in the zoo to participate in these field conservation opportunities. And it really, I think it really not, it, it not only connects them to the idea of conservation and really helps them understand what conservation is, um, but also uh, it, Improves their happiness, improves their morale um, it really in my opinion, what i 've seen anecdotally is it uh, helps with retention um, and people really do uh, enjoy um, going out into the field and it shows that the zoo's really investing in them too, and so that's kind of a, a big movement that i've been trying to do at the zoo uh, along with the rest of our staff in the conservation department
1: that's really cool, um, mm-hmm. obviously, I have a real heart for for conservation, and um, that's just. <laughs> Oh, I love that. That's such a cool job. Is this like a common
0: position at zoos? Um, I, I think it's growing. I think it's absolutely growing. I think um, particularly in recent decades, uh, zoos have really um, embraced the idea of wildlife conservation uh, and really Leveraging their impact in what they could do. Zoos, I know I, a lot of people know this fact that zoos are the largest contributor to conservation worldwide, um, both in dollars and I guess uh, uh, staff time and in kind support. And I think. Um, just the idea of embracing wildlife conservation, we could do that in so many different ways, whether it's just sending support, uh, a check to these organizations that have the expertise to do it. Um, I think that's kind of like the entry level of, of doing conservation is really providing that support, um, but then uh, providing other ways of, of getting involved and really ensuring that um, we're, we're making an impact, whether that's staff involvement or just sharing expertise or whatever it may be. Um, I think this is becoming a much more common position at Zoo zoos um just embracing the idea of conservation and really getting out there and helping animals and plants in the wild
1: i love it and yeah i'm 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 so excited to hear that you're actually um i mean a lot of zoos give money like you said and that's mm-hmm. cool and that's awesome and and very happy about that but um bodies are really important mm-hmm. and exactly i i'm going through a a thing right now where I'm trying to figure out, you know, I, I, my, my day job is I'm a musician and an actor. Mm -hmm. And so I don't have work and like, I would love to be out there right now doing Mm -hmm. conservation stuff, but it all costs money and not having work means I also don't have money. So, um, you know, the fact that you're funding that and helping get bodies out there is just really Mm -hmm. cool.
0: I, I well, and no I think it, we, we also want to not only make sure that we're, because we want the, the benefits to, co- to go both ways. So we don't necessarily want to send someone out there just so they can experience conservation. We want the conservationist or the conservation organization to also benefit from them being there. Because I know a lot of times um, when people want to volunteer, you're spending a lot of time educating them on the protocols and what, what you're actually trying to get them to do. And sometimes that can uh, occasionally be a burden on, the conservationist or the conservation organization. Um, So we do want to make sure that we try and pair it as best as we can, that some that our staff can have expertise that they can share and the the organization can benefit from. Um, And also that the staff member gets a, a benefit of getting much more connected to conservation and really getting out there and having fun, too.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think that's incredible. And I think, you know, it needs to be a two-way street, or else oh, yeah. you you can't fund it long term, especially mm-hmm, with everything. Exactly. Like you said, with COVID. Yep. I know zoos are hurting right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very cool. And yeah, I I have had some really interesting interviews with people. Um, one that stood out is is Colleen Adams, who is a um a zookeeper at the Cincinnati zoo. And she, Mm -hmm. uh, she gets mentioned on this podcast almost as much as I do at this point. Um, (laughs) but she is, uh, really knowledgeable about Tamanduas and, Mm -hmm. and is helping out with breeding, um, and being like a birth coach for, for other zoos through the AZA and stuff right now. She's awesome. That's
0: so a birth coach for Tamanduas. uh, Seriously.
1: It's so cool. (laughs) Um, but she was talking about how she got to meet a woman who takes, uh, does wild rehab of Tamanduas. Mm -hmm. And she was asking her so many questions because she wants to know what they're like in the wild. She doesn't know all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But the woman was also interested in what she could learn from Colleen, both because uh, most of the the rehab work that they do is with juveniles, mm-hmm. so she doesn't have a lot of adults, and also since she doesn't keep them, she releases them. She doesn't get to see a lot of long term behavior. Mm-hmm. So those two just sat around sucking knowledge off of each other,
0: and I <laughs> love that story so much. That, and, and, that yeah. is an incredible example of what zoos can do for conservation. And I know uh, I I'm strategically doing the segue, but with Okapi, we have with Okapi Conservation Project, what we know about. Okapi Copy. There are some studies um, a few decades ago. John and Therese Hart uh, did a lot of work in the Aturi forest in the Okapi Wildlife Reserve. But a lot of what we know about Okapi behavior and um, just their, their their physical and natural history, we know from Okapi that are in human care at zoos. And so uh, we rely heavily on that. Um, and then uh, we've been expanding that to collect a lot of camera trap data on any interesting behaviors that Okapi are exhibiting in the wild and seeing if we could potentially replicate that in human care. But I think that is one thing that zoos can absolutely offer of conservation organizations is that expertise, especially if, if you're not used to dealing with animals or you don't see animals that often in the wild, like okapi. I mean, I've never seen an okapi in the wild. Um, John, my supervisor, has never seen one in the wild for the 33 years that he's been working in Congo. Oh, um, it, it, it really helps benefit us. Uh, and so th- there's that partnership there that can really benefit both the zoo or zoo supporters and also the, the conservation organizations.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. And that was a beautiful segment, by the way. <laughs> um, so let's let's talk about, about Okapi. Um what I would like to do first is, mm-hmm. you know, my podcast has a wide audience and there are a lot of zookeepers and there, there are a lot of people who are not animal people who listen to this though. Mm-hmm. And they might literally be going, what the heck is an Okapi right now? <laughs> so, um, obviously Google it for pictures folks, but can yes. you give a quick breakdown, um, elevator pitch of what a Okapi is?
0: So I always start off saying the Okapi is the coolest animal you've never heard of. Uh, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of zookeepers, if you are uh, familiar with the zoo field, a lot of zookeepers do know. Know what okapi are, but they are the closest living relative to the giraffe. They are, uh, they look kind of like a horse, um, kind of jo- chocolate brown, velvety fur. They have horizontal stripes on their butt and legs, uh, similar to a zebra, but they are not related to zebras. Their closest living relative is the giraffe. Uh, they were only. Uh, found or discovered by Western scientists in 1901. They had been known by the uh, indigenous uh, Mabuti pygmy populations for several millennia, uh, but they were only discovered by the Western world in 1901. Um, They are just the coolest animal that you've you've never heard of. Only about 50 or 60 zoos in the world actually have okapi. So if you're lucky enough to be or live near a zoo or visit a zoo that has okapi, I recommend seeing them. They are the coolest animal that you've never heard of.
1: They really are amazing and they're so velvety. I got to yes. uh, pe- I've, I've actually pet and fed a couple now um and <laughs> and it's just they're
0: so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, well, when you pet them, they exude, not when you pet them, but they, they naturally exude an oil, a brown oil. Mm-hmm. So when you do pet them, you get that thick oil on your hands. And it's thought to be, there's several theories around it, whether it's uh, an insect repellent, um, or if it helps with waterproofing in the rainforest where they live. Very cool, very cool. So
1: um and they have uh zebra butts like you said. Yep. There's no other way around it. And kind of a horse body and then not only do they are they the the closest relatives to giraffes, but they have giraffe tongues basically. Mm-hmm. Um yep. and they have at least the males have ossicones.
0: Correct. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. So yeah, so in giraffes males and females have ossicones, the bony structures that are on their head, but in okapi it's just the males. Sometimes um older females will have a little like bump or bumps where the ossicones are supposed to be, or they'll they'll have little whorls of fur, um, like swirls of fur where the ossicones should be. But generally the males only have ossicones and the females do not. Do we know what they use them for? Um, males will actually use them in territorial displays. And that, that's pretty much what we see them for most. They love to get scratched around their ossicones.
1: <laughs> yes, that's so cool. <laughs> yes. That's so cool. Yeah, I, um, I had seen female and juvenile okapi for mm-hmm. the first numerous times that I saw a copy, and the first time that I saw a male with like ossicones, like they can get big. I was like, mm-hmm. "What? Is, what's going on? Is that a devil copy?" Like, it's a really cool, really unique look. I am, oh, yeah. I am definitely a fan. So, um, why, why are we trying to save these weird uh, creatures that are made up of different animal parts? <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> different animal parts. They're their own unique animal. I don't like to say that they. I know. Animals. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, they're their own unique animal. Um, we. Want to save the? They are the national animal of Congo. Just like in the United States, um, we have the bald eagle on everything. In Congo, uh, the okapi is on everything. It's uh, on money. It's uh, named after bottled water is named after okapi. (laughs) Uh, Cigarettes, okapi gum, okapi logistics. Everything is named after okapi. There's this strong reverence in connection to the the Congolese heritage, um, to the okapi. Um, and they are endangered. They're threatened with a loss of habitat, poaching, mining, um, every, they, they have so many battles that they're, they're uh, fighting. Um, and, what we're trying to do is uh, we, as the Okapi Conservation Project, develop programs that address a lot of the threats that the Okapi are facing. Um, primarily, it's slash-and-burn farming, and so we have an agroforestry program that helps uh, reduce the impact on the surrounding rainforest, uh, that reduces the need to actually cut into the rainforest That so farmers can use the same plot of land year after year after year. Um, we have a lot of uh, community programs that help develop uh, a, additional sources of income. So people are not tempted or um, they don't have to be involved in illegal uh, activities such as mining. Um, And then um, with poaching, Okapi aren't, at least in the Okapi Wildlife Reserve, they aren't direct targets of poaching, but they are considered bycatch sometimes in some of the metal snares that are out for other animals, and they will they will become susceptible to, to, to snares, metal snares in particular. Um, there are some recent reports of Okapi being poached in other parts of their range, um, but we're, though that is relatively new information that we're still not sure where specifically it's coming from or why it's being done, and so I know that there are some organizations that are looking into that.
1: Okay, cool. And, and tell me what y'all are doing to, to help save the Okapi.
0: So yeah, we have um, programs in agroforestry that reduce the need to uh, enter into the forest or cut down forest for farmland. Um, We have a bunch of reforestation projects where we actually have nurseries to grow um, trees, and then we give them to kids to uh, reforest abandoned plots of land. We also give them to farmers to help um, with crop rotation and nitrogen, nitrogen fixing plants to put nitrogen back into the soil to increase their crop yields. Um, Small um, opportunities to generate income, particularly for women, uh, because if you are bringing money to the table, you have a stronger voice in the community and women tend to be much better planners um, and think uh, long term effects of the impact of conservation and protecting the forest. So we have uh, income generating uh, opportunities for women. A lot of education programs, particularly with the younger kids. Um, we go into schools, not during COVID, but pre-COVID, we went into schools and um, developed a lot of uh, lesson plans for a lot of the teachers around the reserve. Um, but. In the COVID times, we've been doing a lot of uh, reports via radio broadcasting and educational materials uh, via radio because radio is the main source of news, information, and entertainment in the region. Um, People don't have TVs, but everyone has a radio, and that's how uh, we can really disseminate information to a wide range of people. And then we also support the Institute in Congo for the Cong- the conservation of nature (ICCN). Uh, Their eco guards and wildlife rangers. Uh, we support them in various capacities to assist in uh, patrols, uh, arresting uh, poachers, removing miners from the reserve, and um, uh, oh, and removing snares and, and those sorts of things.
1: Nice, very cool. Mm-hmm. So two of those things really caught my attention, um, <laughs> and so I kind of want to break those down a little bit. Okay, first of all, um, I. Just did, uh, an interview, um, with, uh, uh, Gunjan Menon, uh, mm-hmm. who's a conservation filmmaker, and she is known for, amongst many other things, helping, uh, spread the term ecofeminism. Okay. And how we can get women involved. And and the film The Firefox Guardian was all about the first uh, female um, forest ranger working with Red Panda Network. Okay. So I thought it was very interesting that you said that you are targeting women specifically mm-hmm. for for certain things here. What is uh if you can speak to this what is the role of of women in the congo is there a lack of equality is that something that um you guys are having to fight for to to kind of bring them up through doing this uh mm-hmm. is there sexism that you
0: guys are f- fighting tell me tell me all the things well so in in congo generally um generally speaking uh the sexists have very defined roles in in the in the home and the workplace. Um, And so what we are doing is trying to address this at at several different angles, um, both with uh, education opportunities and income generating opportunities, uh, because this is a very, very impoverished area, very low income area. Several, um, most people live off of um, a couple dollars a day. Um, And so by providing an opportunity to bring money to the table, the women have a much stronger voice in the community. And so the, the way that our, our strategy with this is, so we have five women's groups around the reserve. Um, the Okapi Wildlife Reserve is the protected area founded in 1992 that we work in. We work in several villages inside the reserve and around the border of the reserve to kind of help create a buffer zone. And so there's five strategic locations around the reserve that we have women's groups. And it's where um, these uh, women get together a couple uh, weeks or a couple days a week. And we provide them with the uh, capacity building, uh, training materials, whatever they need to develop small micro enterprises, whether that's um, uh, creating clothing or um, uh, embroidery uh, designs, or uh, creating school uniforms for their children that they sell in the local markets and the money that they make from selling these items in the local markets go into a shared pot for all of the women in that group. And then when one of the women in the group um, is uh, needing uh, extra assistance, whether it's uh, if their child is sick and they need to pay for health care or if they need to pay the school fees for their kid to continue in uh, school, the Next year, they can pull upon that shared pot of money um, to to pay whatever fees that they need, whether if it's um, putting a new roof on their house or whatever that is. But they can um, they, they pull on this shared um, pot of money that they can um, use as leverage in the community. And we also provide opportunities for them to get involved at the higher level decision making um, and being a part of ceremonies and Um, decision-making schemes and, and that sort of thing. So it's, it's giving them a much stronger voice in the community. And this opens up, uh, it's much easier to open up a conversation on the importance of conservation and protecting the forest and really kind of getting that dialogue going um, and talking long-term effects and strategies to, to protect the rainforest and ultimately okapi habitat.
1: That's that's so amazing. One thing that I never expected when I started learning about all of this good old conservation stuff, um, especially mm-hmm. out, out in, you know, in C two conservation, is how much conservation organizations are actually working to protect people. Yes. And change culture <laughs> in a positive way and yeah. to eradicate sexism and poverty. Mm-hmm. And all. I am blown away by all of that. <laughs> if it's you so think cool. about
0: it. It's, um, we, we, we work w- on with the mission of protecting the animals or the plants or environment, whatever we're working to protect, but it's really all about people. Uh, nature can survive without people, but people cannot survive around about without nature. Um, and really it's people that are usually the issue, um, whether or not they know it. And so I think it's really working with people and finding alternative sources of income that have a, a, a smaller impact on the environment. Um, what it, at the same time of improving their livelihoods, because that's what we are really wanting to do is if, if we can improve their livelihoods uh, and reduce their impact on the forest, we're not only helping them, but we're also protecting the forest at the same time. And so really conservation is working with people. And that's something that I've learned my several years in conservation. Before, I always just wanted to work with animals and um, a lot of zookeepers want to work with animals and a lot of people that are interested in conservation want to work with animals. But you really need to have um, uh in, in a mo- a much more broader understanding of the purpose of conservation and understand that you're gonna be working with um, people to implement a lot of these these actions and ideas
1: yeah that's that's really cool um and then the other one that really stood out to me was was radio man that's uh oh, yeah. that's crazy to think about how just you know how different the world is for people there than it is mm-hmm. here so how do you go about? creating radio and and what do you guys do and and how do you get a broadcast and all that good stuff
0: so um we have very expert educate i'm not the radio expert but we have very um uh expert uh people that- coordinate all of these radio programs. And so we typically pre-record them and then we'll play them. We actually buy radio time. And that's something that we raise money for to buy radio time to actually be on the radio. And so our educators uh, pre-record these um, radio broadcasts with specific targeted messaging, depending on what our campaign is at the time. If it's around World O Copy Day, then it's about um, strategies to protect the forest. Um, and for the benefit of Okapi and for the benefit of people. Recently for COVID, it was all about the One Health approach and um, the connection of human health and the environmental health and how really COVID-19 is is an example of uh, the importance of environmental health uh, connected to human health, Um, the importance of ICCN Rangers, the history of the reserve. Um, So they develop all of these broadcasts, and they do have the radio equipment in these five Uh, we work primarily in the five areas, same with the women's groups, but we also work with five radio stations in those same villages. Those are where our hubs are. Um, And we work with those radio stations um, to get these broadcasted and we'll interview people. We'll interview government officials and talk about the importance of conservation. And so it's really in, it's something that I don't really listen to radio here at home. I mean, I do occasionally if I'm going to work, but it's mostly on my, phone or my iPod that I have connected to my, my radio, but there, that is pretty much the only way that people can um, not everyone has cell phones to access information via social media. Um, and really no one has TVs, at least in a Pulu and some of the bigger towns there, they will have TVs or they'll go to uh, a public space um, that has TVs and they'll watch TV there like a restaurant or a bar or something Um, But generally in the home, there are no TVs, it's all radio. And if you walk down the town, the, the village of Apulu down the main road, you hear several people's radios going at the same time.
1: Man, that's just yeah. That's just a, a different world. It's it's mm-hmm. like you said. I I have I just I have a new car, and I don't think I've heard the radio except when I was setting up my cell phone to stream to it. And I was like, "Stop making noise! What are you? Doing? What are these commercials?" Gosh. Yeah, seriously, I haven't heard a commercial in years. I what has So spoiled. <laughs> that's really interesting. That's very cool. So let's um let's talk a little bit. You you know I'm. I'm always amazed at the scope of of these incredible uh, conservation organizations. And, like, it's one thing, like we said, to want to save a copy. It's Mm -hmm. another thing to say, hey, let's, you know, change culture while doing so and make everyone's lives better. Oh, and save a copy. But we're talking about a land area that you guys have protected and then a buffer that you're building around there and a culture that you have to understand. Mm -hmm. What kind of team goes into All of that. How do you figure out all of that big picture stuff?
0: It, 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 it takes a lot of work and a lot of background research and a lot of time, I would say. We have been in the reserve for, this June will be 34 years that we've been working in the reserve. I haven't been working in the reserve for 34 years because I am 34, <laughs> um, but uh, or I will be 34. I'm making myself older than I am. But um, So I, I work primarily on, in the United States. I do go over to Congo several or once or twice a year. Um, But we have an all Congolese staff over there. And I I basically help with the fundraising. We ask what they need. We provide some guidance. And then we raise money over here in the U.S. or Europe to fund what what their needs are. Um, And so we have um, very trusted staff in the community. um, And they make sure to communicate with the community uh, on a very regular basis uh, to generate and uh, establish that trust. And we have um, people that are from their own villages working in those same villages because they they are they understand the culture, um, they understand how everything works. Um, and i, I do want to clarify we we aren't into uh, we aren't trying to change the culture i know you kind of said that a little bit we're not trying to change the culture um we're trying to preserve culture, particularly indigenous culture um but w- what we're trying to do is provide resources um, that helps improve their livelihoods and it, it is a fine balance on um, providing these resources versus preserving their culture and it, it's a very fine line that we have to walk because we want to make sure that um we we don't take over their culture with any sort of Western traditions or right, anything right. like that. But we, we want to make sure that their culture is preserved, but their livelihoods are improved. And also the rainforest is protected. So um, we have a staff of about 45 in Congo. Uh, and they're all from the villages in which they work. So they know the community, they know the people, and they know the needs and specifics. And um, that's how we are so successful.
1: That's awesome. And and thank you so much for clarifying that. I, yeah. I do saying change the culture has um <laughs> isn't what I was going for, but, yeah, I, but I is the it words wasn't. I said. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's really cool. Um yeah, I I yeah, no, that's really cool. I love that. Um what an amazing organization and and congrats on all the uh, the continued success that you guys are having. And you
0: oh, thank know, you. Thank you. I I think I will say it's it's a testament to um all of our staff on the ground because the if Democratic Republic of Congo is probably one of the, if not the most difficult conservation environments to work in the world. Everything from very difficult infrastructure, what would normally um, take us an hour to drive on a highway in the US will take two or three days to travel that length of of distance. Um, The the poor infrastructure, the lack of healthcare, the issues with uh, Ebola and COVID-19 now, um, the threats of rebel rebel groups and militias um in the forest you never know when they're going to attack um, it, it's there's a lot of of uh, issues to work through and a lot of challenges to overcome, uh, but it's the resiliency of our staff uh, and the dedicated support of zoos that we that have supported us for several years and all of our donors around the world that have actually made all of this work successful and possible. We have a, an incredible team on the ground, um, and we just need the resources to make it happen. And so I, I think that's that's a testament to all of our team and um, good hires um, and just the dedication and the resilience of everyone in the region.
1: Love it. So you're saying uh, that it's important you know, for zoos to support y'all. So I'm going to use that to segue back to your position at the zoo. So let's talk a little bit more about what you do there and what other kind of conservation efforts you guys are helping out with.
0: Yeah. So uh, when I first started at the zoo, I actually started in fundraising. Uh, I graduated with a degree in biology and marine science. I was working at my university um, in a a fundraising role, Uh, decided that it wasn't for me. And then I really wanted to get back to my, my passion of conservation and animals. And there was a fundraising position that opened up at the zoo and I applied and got it. I actually applied for several positions at the zoo as I'm sure several people, several zookeepers or people that work at zoos listening to your podcast right now, I'm sure they've had to apply for several positions in the zoo field before they got a callback or anything. Um, but I finally got this position in fundraising. And that's about the same time that we hired John Lucas, who is my supervisor. Not then, um, but we hired him to help develop our conservation strategy. We had been doing conservation for years, but we didn't have a conservation department or um, or or a, a written strategy on how we're actually going to be coordinating our conservation efforts. So he worked to develop that and I just expressed my interest. Um, and so I started volunteering with the conservation department to help develop that strategy while I was doing fundraising at the zoo full time. Uh, and that eventually led to a position in conservation I did do a little position in PR and marketing in the, in the middle of that. But then after that, I moved over to conservation to help really implement this strategy. Um, and it, we, we started small scale, like um, a check here and there for conservation organizations. But then we started providing a lot of in-kind and expertise. Um, and now we're starting some of our, our, our own projects. Um, we've been doing um, striped newt uh, repatriation for several years now um we're working with a lot of zoos that have Puerto Rican crested toad um breeding and repatriation um and then we're also working on uh, water dogs and uh, amphibians are sometimes a little bit easier because you can breed a lot of them right right at once um and then so most recently, um, and what's most interesting and in, is a lot of zoos don't necessarily have this, but um, some zoos do, I will say. I, I know Cincinnati is one, too, but we focus a lot on plant conservation now, too, because plants are an integral part of every ecosystem, very integral part of every ecosystem. And last year, we hired a plant conservation officer who focuses a lot on our plant conservation, and that's mostly regionally focused. Um, and we partner with a lot of botanical gardens in uh, Georgia and Florida uh, to implement a lot of plant rescue efforts or uh, plant data collection, uh, working with a lot of uh, endangered species like the Chapman's Fringed Orchid, which is only found in North Florida, Southeast Georgia. Uh, And there's a small population near Houston, Texas, which we got the Houston Zoo uh, horticulture team on board to help with that uh, population monitoring. Um, Atlanta Botanical Garden, I do want to give a shout out to them, um, helped get us involved in the Chapman's Fringed Orchid, uh, work. Same thing with, uh, Toria taxifolia, which is the most endangered, uh, conifer in the United States. It's only found in a small pocket, just, uh, west of Tallahassee, Florida. And then we work with several other, uh, Florida species, um, that are, that are very cool and charismatic species, actually, um, <laughs> that are, that are, uh, really cool. But we've really, uh, expanded our plant conservation efforts, um alongside of our our wildlife conservation, very
1: cool and very important. i uh, yet again, another thing that I have learned while doing this is just how important saving plants is because I can walk past any plant and not give a darn about it. Prettiest flower in the world. And I'd rather look at the bird that's across, you know, from it. But um, yeah, it, it really matters. And it's it's all one big ecosystem and we're mm-hmm. all a part of it. And that's very cool. I love that. Love that. Um, now, I understand that you have a different role at the zoo <laughs> while COVID is happening. So yes. tell me about being a zookeeper.
0: So, uh, yes. So um, I will say that I am very, very fortunate. And my heart goes out to a lot of people that were significantly affected uh, professionally because of COVID. I've been very fortunate that um, the zoo did not have any layoffs um, or furloughs for any of our staff. Um, What we did instead was um, I have actually been redirected and reassigned uh, to provide a lot of support to our animal care staff. I'm still doing the Okapi uh, conservation work. Uh, I have enough time to do that. And then we are slowly transitioning to do a lot of more, um, uh, zoo conservation work, but because uh, our budget was frozen, there was very, there was no travel that we could do going into the field. Um, we couldn't really send a lot of support. We did, um, uh, fulfill a lot of written contracts as far as conservation support. Um, but I have been redirected as a keeper. Um, and that this has been since March, 2020, I will say that, um, I don't want to do it my whole life. <laughs> I have so much more respect for zookeepers and everything they go through. Oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, but so I, I started in um, our area, area three is what we call it, mammals area three. So I primarily work with um, all of our Florida native species, um, and then I did occasionally work with, um, uh, some diet preparation with some of our, our primates so primarily our gorillas, um, basically a helping hand wherever needed. So we have uh, a manatee critical care center. And so I care for the manatees every Monday and Tuesday. Um, and then I. Uh, do occasionally work with uh, poodoo, which is not a Florida species, but it's in our Florida area. That's a long story. (laughs) Sandhill cranes, turkeys, coyotes, all that stuff. Um, I did uh, assist with um, bears for a while, but (laughs) I think they took me away from that because I accidentally shifted the bears together. <laughs> that was
1: Was everything okay? Doing, uh,
0: everything was okay. 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 Um but I'm sure if every I think every keeper has a story of them shifting animals together when they shouldn't have shifted the animals together. Um that was a, a lesson learned on the the job. <laughs> and yeah, so I don't shift bears anymore. <laughs> I <laughs> primarily stick with manatees and turkey and sandhole cranes. Uh, and I did do a, the occasional diet prep for gorillas. For a short bit, I did have the opportunity to work with Okapi in Rhino, primarily just cleaning um cleaning their their uh, uh inside enclosures and um uh, their their holding yard outside and that sort of thing i didn't actually do any trainings we did significantly reduce well i don't think we did any trainings of animals during um uh, the 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 really height of covid at least in the beginning just because we weren't we weren't sure of what animals could contract it so we basically right. just cut all of our training um so we really weren't working with the animals that much but um, i did a lot of cleaning <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's that's a whole big that's a that's a big part of keeping, no doubt, yes. no doubt. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah. Uh, I will say that it's that. Yeah, I know I said this, but it's not what I want to do for the rest of my life. I'm happy <laughs> to have a job and I'm happy to support. And I do. I think what one uh, unintended benefit of this is I've developed very strong relationships with a lot of zookeepers. And so in in the conservation department, is, it's under animal programs at the zoo. Um, but with the exception of, of really trying to get keepers and other staff out into the field, I really didn't have much communication with the keepers as often as I would like. So this has provided a a huge opportunity for me to really understand keeper schedules, any um, any any challenges that they face, because I know um, timing and um, scheduling and that sort of thing is a little bit of a, an issue with trying to get staff out into the field for some of my conservation programs. So that has enlightened me a lot on some of the challenges that we could hope to work through and address um, once post COVID happens and we can start getting people out in the field again. Um, but that's been one unintended benefit of this whole thing is I've really, um, really, um, started to appreciate and understand the keeper schedules and, and the, 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 uh, specific routines that they need to, to keep and manage in order to make, make sure things run smoothly.
1: Nice. That is very cool. You mentioned that there were no layoffs.
0: There were no furloughs. Mm -hmm. Why did you have to get reassigned then? Uh, I think it has to do with because our budget is cut and there's no travel opportunities, that sometimes it's, it's a little bit difficult to implement the programs that we had been trying to implement before, um, just because we want to make sure that um, we are shifting schedules. We're going to four 10s, four 10-hour days instead of uh, – we're, we're trying to shift everyone's schedules to four 10-hour days, and so that creates some staffing gaps, um and then when we went to covid we actually went um to a two team system we are no longer on the two team system but that provided some staffing gaps that i had to help fill um myself and the plant conservation officer both helped fill i i think that is really great i think that does a great
1: job illustrating you know how zoos are having to adapt and the cool yeah. work that they are doing
0: yeah you know, and i you know. think i think that's one thing that covid has really shown i think the I mean, I I have a lot of great things to say about our our zoo leadership. I know everyone has frustrations with zoos and um, communication and every zoo has its faults. But I I have to commend our leadership a lot just because um, being strategic and having to be adaptive and flexible, I think, is the biggest lesson learned in COVID. And I think that's something that um, I I learned previously with uh, working in Congo is you have to be adaptive and be able to think quickly on your feet to shift strategies as quickly as possible, because if if there's a rebel attack you have to implement, you have to completely shift gears, um, that's a more serious situation. But um, having to be adaptive and flexible and really take on more duties than assigned, as much as we don't like it, um, I think it, it really says a lot to our team at the Jacksonville Zoo and Gardens and the leadership. I, I do have to commend them on all of that
1: that's very cool i love that um so what is your favorite animal to work with
0: <laughs> ooh to work with uh it's not manatees i will say that oh no um, <laughs> i don't get me wrong i love manatees i think that the issue with with uh, it's difficult with the um with the Manatee Critical Care Center, because yes, manatees are fantastic. They're the mermaids <laughs> of the sea. But with the Critical Care Center, you are you have to have very limited contact because you don't want them to be habituated to humans so that when you do release them, you don't want them to encounter the same issues of, of that you had to rescue them for. Um, so there's no opportunities for training or developing relationships with them. And so I think that's kind of like the, the sucky part about caring for these rescued manatees is you really can't develop relationships with them like you would an animal that you're training or caring for on a regular basis. Um, I... I don't know what animal is my favorite to care for. I, obviously, my favorite animal is okapi, sea turtles, and red-eyed tree frogs combined. Nice, but, nice. Um, okay. Those, no, those are two other yeah. strong, you know, I mean, I knew okapi, <laughs> right, assume, But yeah, yeah, yeah sea turtles are one of my okapi. favorites. So, yeah. um, I don't know what animal I would want to care for, though. Ooh, gosh. I don't know, that's that's a hard, that's a more specific one, I'm not sure, but definitely my favorite animals are okapi sea turtles and red-eyed tree frogs. That's just, I don't know why. When I was younger, it was red-eyed tree frogs before I even knew what an okapi was. Um, Then it was sea turtles because uh, after graduation from, after graduating with my bachelor's, I got involved with a local sea turtle patrol group uh, here in Jacksonville, actually in Ponte Vedra, which is the city south of us. Um, and so I've been doing sea turtle work and research for gosh, 11 years, 10 years, 10 years. Um, and then, uh, I've recently come to love Okapi with the work with Okapi conservation Project. So those are my three.
1: Nice. I love it. Sea turtles are, are up there for me too. They yeah. were my favorite for a long time. And yeah. then red pandas came along and stole my heart. Um, <laughs> and I've since then discovered, uh, tree kangaroos and binturongs, which are up Ooh, there as yes. well. So good. But, uh, yeah, sea turtles are just majestic and yeah. cool. And I yeah. would say
0: they're majestic in the sea, not on land. And they oh yeah, no,
1: they're really goofy on land.
0: <laughs> they stink when you get close to them too, as <laughs> a lot of animals do, but yes. yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's actually one of my, one of my top two or three, um, animal goals right now is to see a, uh, a, um,
0: leatherback sea turtle. Okay. Uh, yep. Yeah. Wild.
1: Yeah. I would love that. Yep. That, I've that seen them nest. To...
0: I've never seen one in the ocean, but I've seen them nest. Right. That's yeah. The that's what times. I'm hoping yep. for. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be very cool. Nice. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. So I have a very important, very serious question for you. Okay. I see a stuffed Okapi behind you. What is its <laughs> yes. name?
0: Oh, what's its name? Ah, oh, you would ask me that. Uh it's <laughs> Ollie the Okapi. Nice. Very good. I don't know there. where I got Ollie from. It was my uh first Okapi that I got, and I just I, I think it just kind of rolled off the tongue. Ollie the Okapi. So whenever I do any interviews or have uh any calls with um any partners or with our staff with OCP, Okapi Conservation Project, um, I always have to have an O Copy in the back representing.
1: Yeah, no, makes sense. I've got I've yeah. got my red panda back there right now. Yep, I see that in all yep. the paintings. Yeah, oh, yeah, all the paintings.
0: <laughs> Very cool.
1: I love Ollie. That's great. So. Um, very cool. Uh, I tend to end my interviews by opening up the floor for any um anything you want to give a shout out to, and you've already done a few. And we're obviously mm-hmm. talking about a, a copy conservation project. Um, mm-hmm. but if there are any other uh, conservation organizations or individuals who you are impressed by or or anything, now would be the time to give them a shout out.
0: Hmm. Okay, I'm going to pause and think about this, and then you're going to have fine. to edit it together.
1: I'm, I, I like um, doing that.
0: I. Ooh, okay. Um, well, I, I want to give a huge shout out. I know I did this earlier in the podcast, but I want to give a huge shout out to everyone that has supported Okapi Conservation Project, whether it's um, just uh, in funding, if you've given a gift to us, or if it's just talking about Okapi, because that's one of the biggest hurdles that we have, and we addressed it in the very beginning of the podcast, is that so many people don't know what an Okapi is. And that is one of our biggest hurdles. So just simply telling your family and friends what an Okapi is, that opens the door for more discussion and education and uh, support for Okapi Conservation Project. Um, And just, I want to give Another huge shout out to all of the zookeepers uh, that I'm friends with that are probably listening to this podcast. (laughs) Any Okapi keepers out there, if they want to learn more or get uh, connected to Okapi Conservation Project, please give me a shout out. Um, I'm more than happy to try and see what we can do for you guys to help make your jobs much easier. See if we can provide any education materials for um, you to talk with your guests whenever you can talk with guests. I don't know if you're allowed to talk with guests right now. Um, post-COVID, again, that pre, during, and post-COVID. But I just want to give a huge shout out for, again, to everyone that has supported Okapi Conservation Project or worked with Okapi um, or have just talked about Okapi with their family and friends and really try and get people to, to become fascinated with Okapi. Because I think if, once you learn about Okapi, you love them because they are, again, the coolest animal that you've never heard of.
1: Absolutely. And now it's time Ross safari poop story hit me.
0: <laughs> okay. So, um, the, uh, it has, it, this is not recent. Um, it happened when I was working with bears. Um, so <laughs> I know, right. It's always, it always goes back to those dang bears. Um, we have two Florida, or they aren't, one is a Florida black bear. One is an American black bear. I think it actually, they're both rescues coming from, um, different places in the country, but, um, Obviously when we shift the bears on exhibit, we have to clean out their outdoor holding areas and we have the big like snow shovel type thing and we rake up their, their poop. Um, But then we always, the the shovel is too big for the trash can. And so you have to like delicately maneuver it. And we always have a trash bag in the trash can, but there was one time that I guess I, I was doing it wrong and I dumped it in the trash can and it came back up and splattered all over my face oh, no. and luckily i did close my mouth uh, and eyes <laughs> in enough time so it did not get in my mouth but i did have it covering my face and that was that was early on when i was a keeper and i'm like what the heck did i get <laughs> myself into and that was that was kind of a a, a uh, in a, a moment of appreciation for everything that keepers go through, I'm sure so many keepers have much better embarrassing stories because they've been doing this so much longer. But oh my gosh, that was like within the first two weeks of being a keeper. I'm like, well, I am not made out, I am not cut out for this.
1: And then you were like, "Hey, if I just shift the bears wrong, <laughs> exactly, then I won't have to do this anymore." I yes, see what happened. Yes. Yep, you oh, busted. Yeah, <laughs> that was my strategy. That was my strategy. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this, man. I really appreciate it.
0: No, not a problem. Thanks so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks.
1: You know, one of my favorite things about this interview is the fact that Lucas both works at a zoo and works with a conservation organization outside of a zoo uh, in basically the same role and does such a great job illustrating how zoos and other conservation organizations uh, work together and interact and support each other and support our overall goal for animal conservation that drives this podcast and most of my guests and most of what is going on in, in this world that, that we're all in together. Um, I just I find that so fascinating. Uh, Interestingly, when I booked Lucas for this interview, I didn't know he worked at a zoo. We were talking simply because I love the Okapi Conservation Project so much. And then he was like, oh, yeah, I'm at a zoo. And uh, it wasn't until right before we started our interview that he was like, oh, and by the way, I'm actually working as a keeper right now, too. So um, this this was quite a fun little journey for me. And I hope you all enjoyed it as well. Uh, You can find Lucas on Instagram at Lucas T Meers, M-E-E-R-S. You can find the Okapi Conservation Project at Okapi Conservation and at okapiconservation.org. And you can find the Jacksonville Zoo and Gardens at Jacksonville Zoo and JacksonvilleZoo.org. All right, y'all. I mentioned it in the beginning. Now I'm going to say it in the end. Here come those stider. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Rossafari. on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at RossifariPod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.